Hey there, welcome back to Christopher Governor Show. KAMP Student Radio. KPYT Pasco Yaski Tribal Radio. Let's see what the headlines are. Um, right. So, yeah, I cover all the pro democracy podcasts and trying to. Let's pull up <clears throat> YouTube. YouTube. What the hell is all that about? Mm, internet. Okay. Right. Signal strength is, should be excellent. What the fuck is all this about? Maybe how about a Gaia show? Oh, here it comes Trump just fucked up his own life. <laughs> Folks, one of the things I've said. You have an invention idea but don't know what to do next? Go to inventhelp.com. We have representatives exceptionally talented at almost never speaking but always listening. And when he's going up against a big fat loudmouth like old Donnie, that is a fantastic position to be in. And what just happened, guys, is that Garland, because of that eagle eye and that soft approach, has just yet again got brand new evidence on Trump right from Mar-a-Lago, directly from Mar-a-Lago, the first big score from Trump's property since the raid itself happened. <clears throat> and my goodness, guys, this changes a lot. Because not only is it juicy dirt on Donald Trump in a pretty visceral way, but it directly contradicts a lot of the claims Trump has been making before, during, and after the search, which absolutely ratchet up Garland's ability and possibly his to desire to charge Donald Trump specifically with Come obstruction on, of justice. Listen to this, lock then I have up. another piece to share about how Garland just got another big score on Trump. New never-before-heard interviews CNN, with former President Trump New where he Day. seems to suggest and backtrack that he had classified material in Mar-a-Lago. Did you leave the White House with anything in particular? Are there any memento documents you took with you? Anything of no? no nothing of great urgency. No. Okay. I have great things, though, you know, uh, the letters, the Kim Jong-un mm-hmm. letters, and many of them. You were able to take those with you? Look at what's happening. Wow. No, I, I think that has the. I think that's in the uh, archives, but most of it is in the archives. Okay. But the Kim Jong Un letters, we have incredible things. I have incredible letters with other leaders. Hmm. That was Maggie Haberman interviewing Trump. She is the author of the new book Confidence Man: The Making of Donald Trump and the Breaking of America. CNN political analyst Maggie <laughs> Haberman, also senior political correspondent at the Great New York title. Times, with us now on this. Uh, that is so interesting because he kind of answers it both ways. An incredibly 
evasive answer. What did you make of this? Exactly what you just said, Brianna. It was a, a very vague statement. And I asked the question on a lark, just knowing how much he liked items like those Kim Jong-un letters. And he is, and his initial instinct was to say, no, no. Then he sort of seemed to want to brag about having something. And then when he registered my surprise, took it back. And, you know, he, he, it's a, it was a classic moment in interviewing him. We obviously learned much later, didn't know that from that interview, uh, learned it uh, several months later when the Washington Post broke the story that he, in fact, had many, many classified documents that he had taken to Mar-a-Lago, and that wasn't the last of what was retrieved. Uh, but I did find it to be a revealing moment, and I wanted people just to hear it for themselves. Yeah, it's really, uh, really something. I also want to play another part of another interview that you did with him, which was about what he was doing on January 6th as the riot was happening. Here it is. But what were you doing when, when you, how did you find out that, that there were people storming the, the Capitol? I had heard that afterwards, it. and actually, uh-huh. on the late side, I was... I was having meetings. Mm-hmm. I was also with uh, Mark Meadows and others. Mm-hmm. I was not watching television. Uh-huh. I didn't have the television okay. on. Okay. Uh, I didn't usually have that te- the television on. I'd have it on if there was something. I then later turned it on, and I saw what was happening. I also had uh, confidence that the Capitol, who didn't want these 10,000 people. The Capitol Police, you mean. That okay. they'd be able to control this thing and you don't realize that you know they they did lose control so much testimony since then maggie that he was watching tv brianna we've reported in real time cnn reported in real time new york times uh, and i reported in real time that he was watching television we were told that that day we were told that days after the the public hearing held by the house select committee investigating the january 6th attack has since established and documented that he was watching television and again it was another very interesting moment because my question was what were you doing which at that time brianna was it was a huge mystery even with all our reporting there was nothing certain about it or said under oath and his impulse was to insist that he was wasn't doing what he has widely been reported to do. When you said that to him, when he said he wasn't everything. watching TV, and you said you weren't, Tate released okay. a paperman's interview did with you, Trump on Did you know at that time that he was lying to you? Uh, I assumed that this did not uh, necessarily comport with reality. It certainly did not comport with my understanding of it. But again, because we did not have house testimony we did not have any of the the items that we now have in terms of people being under oath it was less clear exact and it, w- it was still unclear exactly what he was claiming when he learned about it or how but we have since heard testimony that he was very clear on what was happening throughout again there has been sworn congressional testimony by former trump allies that in fact he was watching tv during the insurrection and was described think, as yeah gleeful about it yeah gleeful the house select committee (laughs) investigating the capitol riot has documented in its public hearings and in its private uh witness uh information gathering that trump was watching television and jake that trump was aware of what was going on pretty early on he was told what was happening i was very struck in that he organized it he told me that he believed that the capitol police would have control it was very clear pretty early the capitol police did not have control of it and it's not even clear why he believed they would have control of something in the first place if he was so surprised that this event took place again everything he told me there just has been completely disproven so listen you want to start a business in today's economy the first thing you're going to need listen that comes from a journalist but
that we now have in terms of people being under oath, it was less clear exactly. And it, it was still unclear exactly what he was claiming when he learned about it or how, but we have since heard testimony that he was very clear on what was happening throughout. Again, Lethal. there has been sworn congressional testimony by former Trump allies that in fact he was watching TV during the insurrection and was described as gleeful about it. The House Select Committee investigating the Capitol riot has documented in its public hearings and in its private uh, witness uh, information gathering that Trump was watching television. And Jake, that Trump was aware of what was going on pretty early on, that he was told what was happening. I was very struck in that bit in the interview where he told me that he believed that the Capitol Police would have control of it. It was very clear pretty early the Capitol Police did not have control of it, and it's not even clear why he believed they would have control of something in the first place if he was so surprised that this event took place. Again, everything he told me there just has been completely disproven. So listen, that comes from a journalist, but remember what people have been saying. Remember what Joyce Vance and Barbara McQuaid and other legal experts have been saying. Garland gets evidence in two major ways. He's running an investigation, and I'm sure he's found all sorts of documents and papers and files and video on his own and through his people, but he also does the investigation through all of these other things breaking. And when he finds that evidence, again, that interview, that audio you hear is at Mar-a-Lago. These, these interviews are happening in Trump's living spaces. And what this shows are massive lies, specifically one that's absolutely actionable is this claim that he gave some of the stuff back and then he catches himself saying he had it and then she questions him and says, well, actually, I probably gave that back. These sorts of things, arguing in a sense that, yeah, he had some cool stuff, but all the stuff he was supposed to give back, he had given back to the archives. In addition to lies about his conduct, on J6, his actions on J6 or lack thereof, which also will be used by Garland as evidence that Donald Trump is knowingly lying about his conduct on that day, which could establish guilt, which could be used against him in a criminal trial. But this is really connected, guys, to another piece of reporting. Again, dirt right from Mar-a-Lago about a letter sent to Trump and his team from the National Archives to Mar-a-Lago before the raid happened, as a sort of final warning, if you will, that he still had to give the stuff back, including the very same letter Trump in that interview claimed he already gave back. It says, a newly released email shows an attorney for the National Archives begging Trump lawyers for President Donald Trump to help them locate presidential records in May of last year. The email, according to the New York Times, would become the origin of the August 8th raid on Trump's estate in Florida. An email from the National Archive General Counsel to Trump representatives said that they needed cooperation on various issues with respect to capturing presidential records. The email, which was dated May 5th, 2021, noted problems remain that will likely require further follow-up and immediate assistance was needed on numerous missing documents. As the executive office of the president continues to transfer electronic Trump records into our custody, we have come upon several problems that we need your help in resolving. He added, for example, the original correspondence between President Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un was not transferred to us. It is our understanding that in January 2021, just prior to the end of the administration, 
The originals were put in a binder for the president, but were never returned to the Office of Record Management for transfer to NARA. And Trump again says, I gave it back. And in other letters, he said he gave these things back. So again, all of this centered at Mar-a-Lago. A letter sent to Mar-a-Lago about the dirt there and Haberman's interview with Trump at Mar-a-Lago, which was chock full of lies directly about this investigation. All of that is now in the hands of the DOJ. They have that info. So again, Garland gets direct dirt evidence on Trump from Mar-a-Lago, and it's all because he's doing his job right. Not saying a bunch, but listening to everything. We've been building support for ocean sanctuaries. This is really important because, as you know, our oceans are in real trouble, and ocean sanctuaries are the best. Right. So that is really stuff. Desperation. Trump hit with a string of bad legal news as he attempts to delay investigations. First Proud Boy pleads guilty to seditious conspiracy. Alabama's attack on the Voting Rights Act goes to the Supreme Court and more. Nine hours ago, I watched that. MAGA martyr was ready to kill for Trump in a conversation with Frank Figliuzzi. Mia culpa. Okay, so Frank, in an interview on conservative talk show host Hugh Hewitt's radio show, Chris Christie the other day stated that Trump incited the January 6th riot to intimidate, at that time, Vice President Mike Pence. If this is true, it's an absolutely huge, or as Trump would say, a huge allegation in that it places Trump at the head of a criminal conspiracy and leaves him open to prosecution. Do you think that Christie will testify now in front of the January 6th committee? Or, and more importantly, does he have any actual proof? Yeah, I think your your last question is actually the seminal question. Because whether or not Chris Christie is simply citing his opinion, and, and look, my, my personal opinion of Chris Christie is he's someone who's trying to ride that fence, have, you know, have it both ways. So he... You know, I can see him easily coming out with a strong statement in, in the media, like you just said. Yep, he did it to intimidate Pence. And then when he's called to testify about that, I can easily say, Wait. well, I'm signing my... Okay, so Frank, in an interview on conservative talk show host Hugh Hewitt's radio show, Chris Christie the other day stated that Trump incited the January 6th riot to intimidate at that time, Vice President Mike Pence. If this is true, it's an absolutely huge, or as Trump would say, a huge allegation <laughs> in that it places Trump at the head of a criminal conspiracy and leaves him open to prosecution. Do you think that Christie will testify now in front of the January 6th committee? Or, and more importantly, does he have any actual proof? Yeah, I think your your last question is actually the seminal question, because whether or not Chris Christie is simply citing his opinion, and, and look, my, my personal opinion of Chris Christie is he's someone who's trying to ride that fence, ha, you know, have it both ways, so he, you know, I can see him easily coming out with a strong statement in, in the media, like you just said, yep, he did it to intimidate Pence, and then when he's called to testify about that, I can easily say, well, I'm citing my opinion, very legalistic answer, right? Well, that was my opinion. That's my impression. And whether or not he was in the room with Trump and Trump said verbatim, we're going to put the screws to Pence by doing this mob scene and this attack, 
I doubt it. I doubt it. You you know better than anybody, perhaps on the planet, that Trump's MO is this kind of arm's length plausible deniability from any kind of criminal connection. So I think it's impression. I think Chris Christie's gonna ride that fence of impression, opinion. I do think he'll testify if asked about it, but I don't think he'll be the guy who nails uh, puts nails in the coffin on Trump. You know, it's interesting because um, about two, three weeks ago, I was over at a restaurant with my wife and some friends, and we were over at this uh, restaurant here in New York City called Fres- um, Fresco uh, by Scotto. Actually, Rosanna Scotto from, Fo- from Fox. Uh, it's her family. And um, her brother, Anthony, another one of the you know, owners of the restaurant, comes over to me and says, in about a half hour, Chris Christie's coming. Because they always get celebrities coming in there. Uh, which is, of course, why I go there. So I'm like, ah, great. You know, I haven't seen him in a while. And I wasn't really sure how Chris Christie was going to react when he saw me, because obviously we spent quite a bit of time um, with, you know, with I did with Chris and uh, obviously with his wife, Mary Pat. And as we were leaving, their table was right there in the front. And so he jumped up and he gave me a hug. And he says to me, I'm so sorry for what you went through. I'm trying to get him onto the podcast. I texted him the other day. I haven't heard back. But he's going to run, by the way, for president. You could, I guarantee that one. He already told me that he's, you know, considering uh, very strongly about this run, uh, especially if Trump decides to stay into the race. There is no love between Trump and Chris Christie. Let me rephrase that. There is no love by Chris Christie for Donald Trump. In fact, whether you like Chris Christie or not, he, like any normal human being, is absolutely fucking repulsed by Donald, by Donald's behavior, with all of the chaos that this son of a bitch is sowing each and every day, even without having social media. Think about that, how much more damaging he would be to this country if he still had his social media. But I bring up Chris Christie for that purpose because I am 100% certain that if asked to testify, he would absolutely do it. Now, I didn't know the answer to whether he has proof or not, which is, of course, why I was, you know, look, you are the author of Beyond the Bureau. You know this stuff. Your ear is to the ground. I'm just wondering if you heard that he has any actual proof that could do more than just basically corroborate the tens and tens and tens of thousands of documents that the January 6th committee already has, or the 300 individuals who already testified and their, you know, 2,700 hours worth of testimony. So, so short answer, nope, don't have any special behind the scenes information with, with regard to Chris Christie's uh, knowledge or not. But I, I want to say this, if he if he's running, and I, I'm eager to get your opinion on this, if he's going to run, let's assume you're right, and he's going to he's going to take a crack at the presidency. Um, again, I see an individual, a personality who may may despise Trump, but understands politics very well, and understands that fighting that fence between saying this stuff was inappropriate, but I'm not going to be the guy that that that, that gives criminal evidence against Trump because I need people to vote for me from from all corners of the party. And that's where I see him right now. That is just right in that middle because he, particularly if he plans to, on running for president. 
So let me respectfully disagree with you. Um, the way I know Chris Christie, he's an incredibly, as you stated, he's a very calculating politician. And right now, the wave is not riding in Donald's favor. We're seeing, even though it's not significant numbers, we're seeing numbers falling as far as his popularity is concerned, even amongst Republicans. Yes, we're right. seeing a fissure. We're seeing a small fissure, a small crack starting to develop. I, I, I totally agree. Pence is, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but yeah, Pence making the statement at the Federalist Society, uh, Romney coming out, Mitch McConnell coming out. Something's, something's beginning to happen. And and whether whether Christie sees himself as as um, siding with the Cheney, Liz Cheney's and Adam Kinziger's of the world that are that are really doing the taking the high road and doing the right thing, or whether he still tries to ride that middle. You're you're telling me he may end up doing the right thing if he has the evidence. It, he'll do the right thing with or without having the evidence because it's politically expedient for him. What he needs to do is to be the guy, the first one out of the gate to say what Trump did was wrong. I agree with Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump tried to create an insurrection. Donald Trump is responsible for the riot, um, for the you know riot on the Capitol on January 6th. Donald this, Donald that. Legitimate stuff. I'm not talking about saying, you know, Donald Trump is the guy responsible for putting all the space garbage up in, you know, up, you know, in the atmosphere and so on, or X, Y, and Z. I'm talking about legitimate stuff, things that he's responsible. Donald Trump ripped up paper. He ripped up paper that doesn't belong to him. It belongs to the people of the United States of America. He's not authorized to do that. Donald Trump stole 15 boxes and sent them off to Mar-a-Lago, right? That now has to be, you know, picked up by the National Archives, right? These are all improper actions. And I believe that Chris Christie, now, again, with Mitch McConnell's comments, with uh, many others, with uh, Adam Kinzinger, with um, Liz Cheney making all the statements, with the RIP documents, with all of the testimony that's now coming out, my belief, again, is that, the ice is cracking, and I think Chris Christie wants to be there as the guy that basically took the sledgehammer to the ice that Donald Trump fell through into the frozen pond and ride it all the way to the office of the presidency. Right. The question is, so the nature of a politician, of course, is to put that finger in the wind and figure out which way the wind is blowing, right? But it's going to require, and you mentioned, you know, the crack in the ice. If you're, if you happen to be on a lake and it, and it starts cracking, right? And you've got to figure out quickly, which, which, where am I jumping? Am I jumping on that ice flow or am I jumping on this ice flow? And, and, you know, it's going to require Christie to do something a little different. If you watched his real, the really good interview Nicole Wallace did on MSNBC with Chris Christie, um, that, I mean, she, she it was masterful. And he, he was trying to have it both ways, and she was calling him out on okay. it, right? So he's gonna, it's going to require a shift for him, which he's quite capable of doing, becoming much more stronger and outspoken about Come on, I hope you're right. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that he also knows about Trump using your analogy of whether to jump to the left or the right in order to extricate yourself from the, you know, cracking ice. He knows that Donald's too stupid to jump, that he doesn't believe that that God would allow the ice to break 
while he's standing on it because he, of course, is the next coming. I mean, that's really what a narcissistic sociopath is thinking, and that's what will happen. And and whether whether Christie sees himself as as um, siding with the Cheney, Liz Cheney's and Adam Kinzinger's of the world that are that are really doing the taking the high road and doing the right thing, or whether he still tries to ride that middle. You're you're telling me he may end up doing the right thing if he has the evidence. It, he'll do the right thing with or without having the evidence because it's politically expedient for him. What he needs to do is to be the guy, the first one out of the gate, to say what Trump did was wrong. I agree with Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump tried to create an insurrection. Donald Trump is responsible for the riot, um, for the you know riot on the Capitol on January 6th. Donald this, Donald that. Legitimate stuff. I'm not talking about saying, you know, Donald Trump is the guy responsible for putting all the space garbage up in, you know, up, you know, in the atmosphere and so on, or X, Y, and Z. I'm talking about legitimate stuff, things that he's responsible. Donald Trump ripped up paper. He ripped up paper that doesn't belong to him. It belongs to the people of the United States of America. He's not authorized to do that. Donald Trump stole 15 boxes and sent them off to Mar-a-Lago, right? That now has to be, you know, picked up by the National Archives, right? These are all improper actions, and I believe that Chris Christie, now, again, with Mitch McConnell's comments, with uh, many others, with uh, Adam Kinzinger, with um, Liz Cheney making all the statements, with the RIP documents, with all of the testimony that's now coming out, my belief, again, is that the ice is cracking, and I think Chris Christie wants to be there as the guy that basically took the sledgehammer to the ice that Donald Trump fell through into the frozen pond and ride it all the way to the office of the presidency. Right. The question is, so the nature of a politician, of course, is to put that finger in the wind and figure out which way the wind is blowing, right? But it's going to require, and you mentioned, you know, the crack in the ice. If you're, if you happen to be on a lake and it, and it starts cracking, right? And you've got to figure out quickly, which, which, where am I jumping? Am I jumping on that ice flow or am I jumping on this ice flow? And, and, you know, it's going to require Christie to do something a little different. If you watched his re- the really good interview Nicole Wallace did on MSNBC with Chris Christie, um, that, I mean, she, she it was masterful. And he, he was trying to have it both ways, and she was calling him out on it, right? So he's gonna, it's going to require a shift for him, which he's quite capable of doing, becoming much more stronger and outspoken about Trump. And I hope you're right. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that he also knows about Trump using your analogy of whether to jump to the left or the right in order to extricate yourself from the, you know, cracking ice. He knows that Donald's too stupid to jump, that he doesn't believe that that God would allow the ice to break while he's standing on it because he, of course, is the next coming. I mean, that's really what a narcissistic sociopath is thinking, and that's what we all know about Donald, who is emphatically... A narcissistic sociopath. Got it. And and ultimately, as in as in studying great literature, the tragic flaw of the tragic hero would would be your your own downfall. Your own character traits lead to your own downfall, and that that may be it. Sure, that's the story of Icarus, right? Yeah. Who, with the wa- with the waxed wings, decided he wanted to fly, you know, as close to the sun as he could. Hence, of course, the wings um, melted, and he plummeted to earth and died. 
Exactly. That's Donald. That's Donald fine. believes that he can fly. And we are going, we're going to show him, thanks to people like yourself and so many others, out there speaking, telling the truth, showing the documentary evidence, talking about things that are actually happening instead of this right-wing Fox Media OAN Newsmax that makes up lies. It is all lies. If you watch it for 15 minutes and then you turn around and you watch, you know, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, and you say, I'm not even sure I'm in the same realm. The lies, I mean, the lies. You know, something I do, for because I'm, I, I do this for a living, I do have to watch uh, Fox occasionally to the point of intolerance, which is about 15, 20 minutes. And I will tell you this, the lies are getting more and more brazen. Um, you know, a year ago, it required some research. To, Is that right or not? Now you sit there and go, my God, he just made that entire thing up, just entirely made up. Um, I'll give you an example. Tucker Carlson recently said um, NSA admitted that they were spying on him. A absolutely not. They did not admit they were spying on him. But he just sat there and made it up. Anyway. And, and repeat it over and over and over again until until their base, who believed it the first time they heard it, now it's so deep sunken into their heads. They actually, that's right, it's it's so true that it's in the Bible, right? Yeah. So let me ask you this then, Frank. There's a deep concern in states like Georgia that the president's call for massive protests in those states where he is now under criminal indictment will lead to the establishment of very dangerous armed encampments and real violence. Do you believe it's Trump's intent to use his MAGA mob, uh, his MAGA mob to intimidate state and local law enforcement? And by doing so, what do you believe will be the outcome? All right, so we've gone from a question where you and I had different opinions, there's nuance, there's subtleties, there's, there's theories. This question, I, I have no nuance or subtlety. I absolutely believe that Donald Trump intends to provoke violence again, as he did on January 6th. And I believe that what we heard him say about the prosecutors, and it was prosecutors writ large with regard to Georgia, he's, you know, New York State Attorney General, Manhattan DA, calling them, you know, vile. And, and it, it, I absolutely, when you call for the largest protest ever, when we've just had an insurrection, right? So hard to imagine something more large and, and impactful than that. And you do it around your own prosecution, absolutely. And then we see the Fulton County DA request uh, FBI assistance for a threat assessment, risk assessment, right? And I, I was telling people, hey, just let's remember FBI doesn't, doesn't do building security, but, but yes, they do threat assessment intelligence and they'll, they'll do an actual physical security assessment. Yeah, that also tells me she may not completely um, um, feel assured by the count Fulton County sheriffs or, or the state authorities in Georgia. So she's looking very deliberately and publicly looking to the feds for help. This is a real threat, Michael. And I, I absolutely believe he will try try Trump. If indeed he's indicted, you're, you're going to see him try to provoke violence. And I believe, you know, in a larger strategy, I think the party is also, and I think his associates are also looking toward November and the midterms. And I did a, I did a column for MSNBC Daily a couple of weeks ago, where I laid out a very, very concerning scenario around the midterms, where we have violence over the vote count um, in key Senate races in places like Arizona, Georgia, and Florida. You know, what comes...
first to my mind, because I remember about a month or so ago reading there was an article uh, online. You know, I get everything online, not only to read the paper anymore, right, um, by Vox. And um, the writer was a, um, uh, an individual by the name of Fabiola Sineas, if I'm pronouncing her name right. But I found this article to be absolutely intoxicating. To be, I want to be honest with you here. Intoxicating. Why? First of all, from the headline all the way through the article. Really well done. Headline, Donald Trump is the accelerant. And that's what really struck me, which is why I ended up reading it. And it's basically a comprehensive timeline of Trump encouraging these hate groups and these individuals to engage in political violence. And Fabiola runs through this timeline, literally from things that he says to, you know, actions that were taken, not just by him. See, this is where Donald is so absolutely crafty. He gets other people to do it, too like Rudy Colludi Giuliani, like his idiot son Eric, like his idiot daughter-in-law Lara, who went ahead and they stole, they kidnapped the rally from this young girl, Jennifer Lawrence, this guy Dustin uh, Beckworth, I think is his last name. Um, I mean, they, they hijacked their rally and turned it into a march. Then you had Dopey Don Jr. off into another area, and it's on and on. And then, of course, Roger Stone and the rest of the whole Rat Pack you know, over at, um, the day before at the hotel. This was all coordinated, and that's how Fabiola runs it through this timeline. So every single person from Albert Bragg now to Tish James to Fannie Willis to anyone that's involved in terms of indicting Trump, he's using these code words. He's using these code words to act as, again, the accelerant for more violence against these areas because that's just who he is. You know, I said it in my last podcast, and I'm going to say it now. There's only, there's a line from the movie The Dark Knight. Some men want to see the world burn. Donald Trump wants to see the country burn because he lost the election. And he can't, his fragile ego will not accept it, so he'd rather see the country disappear than him just to go away. Go write your memoir like Barack Obama did, like the Bushes did, like every president before you, instead of putting out some stupid fucking table book, basically shitting on our allies and talking about his love letters with Kim Jong-un. You know, I'm always trying to get Mary Trump to come on this show. Why? Because there's a, you know, a psychotherapist and... You know, being part of that family, even though she's really very much, she's been estranged from him because he doesn't really deal with anybody. I'd like to ask her certain questions about, you know, how one would put this. The, he constantly refers to these letters with Kim Jong-un as love letters. Now, Frank, you're a great guy. You've been on my show several times. We've spoken. We've met the whole nine yards. God forbid you write me a love letter. You and I are going to get into a ring and someone's going to go down. All right? <laughs> I'm not interested in any love letters from you. I don't understand why he even uses that term. It's just fucking weird. Oh, I is think, it listen, me or is, is it me or is it, or do you feel the same way? No, I think the behavioral science crowd, um, which, you know, I've, I've worked with throughout my FBI career, I, I think behavioral scientists would have a field day with this and are having a field day with it, Michael, because I think it goes toward his ego. I think um, he wants to be loved. And I, I mean, I'm not, look, 
Well, I'm playing armchair behavioral scientist here, and I, I want to acknowledge that I, I'm I'm an armchair behavioral scientist only. But um, here's a guy who was likely longing for the love and affection of his father, and he seeks that from strong men leaders. And indeed, there here comes Kim Jong Un, who rules with an iron fist, writing him allegedly pleasant letters, friendly letters, and that's enough to to trigger Don saying. I, I have found affection in a strong leader figure. Um, that, that's that's my guess as to what's going on. It, it's stroking his ego. Um, he, he needs that. And the problem is, from a national security perspective, what I've said repeatedly is that's dangerous for us as a nation when our, our president was seeking the affirmation and affection of world strong dictatorial world leaders. That's that's a very scary place to be. But I, I want to I want to also address something you said about fueling the flames of, of violence, because, you know, we opened this up about talking about just being sick and tired of everybody being sick and tired of hearing the same threat, you know, being talked about and all of that. But I, I, I challenge anyone to prove us wrong with regard to Donald as a kind of radicalizer in chief, which I've said repeatedly in my appearances in my columns. And I, I'll go all the way back. And and yes, Rudy Giuliani saying at the infamous rally, "We let's do trial by uh, trial by combat." Right, uh, over and over again. There's a there's a here in Arizona. There's a guy running for Congress, Michael, who just put out a video. I just tweeted it this morning. Um, he says, "We are at war. We are at war for God, right? For our children." That that's been that's the language of radicalization. And I want to I want to go way back for for Trump on this. Um, you remember the El Paso Walmart shooting? Yes. Terrible tragedy. Young man shoots up mm -hmm. the quote unquote brown invaders uh, coming into the Walmart to shop for, across the border from uh, Juarez, right? And um, I wrote a New York Times uh, op-ed three days before the El Paso Walmart shooting because I saw something like that coming. And I, I said, we've got a president talking about brown invaders. Brown invaders, and and the language he's using is going to result in violence. And three days later, this young man shoots up the El Paso Walmart. When they get into his his uh, online activity, his writings and ramblings, what do they find? Verbatim, the language of Donald Trump: "Brown invaders, kill the invaders." Um, yes, he can and is inciting violence. And don't think for a second that he doesn't know it. He just realizes that. If he uses certain terminology that they can't attribute, oh, it's a, ter it's a terrible thing to happen. But quite frankly, this is what's going on in our country. And on and on, right? You're referring, I think, if I'm not mistaken, to Ron Watkins, the guy from Arizona that put this thing out. Right, right. Who, who people, right, that's right. Who people who, uh, sometimes associate with being cute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's bullshit. I mean, that's the sickest thing. And somewhere along the line, his goal is to radicalize the people there in his district that are going to be voting for him. And how do you do that? You always turn around and say, you're in jeopardy. Your future is in jeopardy. Worse than your jeopardy, because as parents, right, what do you care about more than yourself, your children? Right? I mean, they, they God, do it. God, and, and, God and children. God and children. Is the, God and that's children. it. God, no, 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 no. Frank, there's three things. God, children, and guns. Because... You know, these these guys are just all fucking packing. You know, right now you can't buy ammunition. 
it's almost like a, it's a back order wherever you go, you know, and they're triple charging because there's none available. They're stockpiling for war. And if that doesn't scare the shit out of my listeners, if that's not going to get into the mind of all Americans, Republicans, Democrats, independents, and people who aren't even registered, you got something coming. You got your next door neighbor who you're not even aware is doing it, has an, a, a shed out in the back that could have 50, 100,000 rounds of ammunition. And out there, you can pick up fully automatic machine guns like it's nothing. Right, you can pick up whatever the hell that you want. Yeah, yeah. I we've got a woman running for governor here in Arizona, Michael. Uh, her her essentially the sole item on her platform is scaring the hell out of people about the border invasion. Right, that's what she refers to it as. She's going to put national guard in Arizona on on the border. She's going to literally build the wall. She says in Arizona. I, no explanation as to how she's going to do that. So we, we have a really good uh, columnist here with the Arizona Papers, a guy by the name of Tim Steller. He goes down, he talks to the three county sheriffs that, that are on the border. There's three counties in Arizona on the border. He asks each of them, are we are we being invaded? Is this at the point you know where, where the GOP is telling us it is? Two of those sheriffs said, nope, it's not. And, and one of them went, well, you know, we're having a rough time, and I guess... Perhaps if you want to characterize it as an invasion, it is. So two of the three sheriffs scoffed at the notion that we're being invaded. Yet we have we have this as the, one of the major planks in the in the platform. Yes, and it's, it's there's no there's no words for it. It's just made up more bullshit innuendo without you know lacking any factual accuracy. But I want to ask you this then: in a recent episode of your podcast, The Bureau. You put forth the case for why Jeffrey Clark should be indicted and not immunized. How was this a mistake by the January 6th committee? And why did they do it in the first place? All right. So the good news is we're not at the point where they've actually done it. Here's here's what prompted my my call, my uh, my podcast. And and by the way, my most recent column again for MSNBC. Zolofkren, who's who I, who I think is a great Congress uh, member, Zolofkren says on CNN, uh, I think last week, to Erin Burnett, she says, almost pondering aloud, you know, one of the things we should consider about Jeffrey Clark is, you know, maybe offering him use immunity, something like that, right? I quote it um, in the podcast and in the uh, column. That got my attention, Michael. Okay, got my, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So it's not just that I'm saying that Jeffrey Clark Let's re- re- remind your your savvy uh, listeners, Jeffrey Clark, former DOJ official, head of the civil division at DOJ under Trump, under acting Attorney General Rosen, tried to do an end around um, of Rosen to go straight to Trump with plans on how to overthrow the election, uh, suggesting the Georgia phone call, all, all of that, right? And now he's claimed the Fifth Amendment, asserted the Fifth Amendment over 100 times to the committee. And all Zoe Lofgren did on national TV, pondering aloud, you know, one of the things we should consider is offering use immunity. So I do an education piece first, and I say, here's what use immunity is. And by the way, don't let anybody tell you that use immunity still effectively allows you to prosecute somebody because the courts have actually rejected that idea recently uh, with Blackwater guys, with Oliver North famously. Why? Because you have to prove that if you go ahead and prosecute somebody you've offered use immunity to, you've got to prove to the court in a Castigar hearing that all the evidence you've got is completely independent of anything that that immunized defendant told you or implied, right? It's very, very hard to do. Okay, but here's here's a theory that's come up. And I, I talked with uh, a fellow analyst on MSNBC, Joyce Vance, about this. She had a great theory on Zola 
saying, because you might say, what, Ms. Olofgren's a lawyer. Why would she say this? Aren't they coordinating with the DOJ? Why would the committee make a decision on immunizing somebody that would impact the ability of DOJ to prosecute him? What is going on? And I, I said, they're either not coordinating, which is scary, or they did coordinate, and DOJ said, yeah, go ahead if you need to offer use immunity. We're not going to prosecute this big fish, Jeffrey Clark. That's very disturbing. But there's another theory that Joyce Vance came up with, which was Zoe Lofgren floated this out there because something's broken with the coordination with DOJ. She's frustrated. Again, this is a theory. She may be frustrated with DOJ on prosecutive decisions, and she's trying to wake them up and say, you know what? We might just offer you some immunity to a big fish. What say you, DOJ? That's, that's a theory that unfortunately could be true. Well, unfortunately, um, I agree with her. Uh, and I'll tell you, I can only look at, again, my own personal experiences, how, and I talk about it all the time. Some of my listeners say, we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it. And I'm trying to do the same thing, for example, that Fox is doing. I'm trying to repeat it enough times that people start talking about it. And I want to talk about it again, my July, the letter that was written by Ted Lieu and Hakeem Jeffries, July of 2020, asking for an investigation, Michael Horowitz, OIG, DOJ, to open an investigation. And again, I just don't say it because it's beneficial to Michael Cohen. It is a pure and prime example of our democracy in peril and the fact that the DOJ is like a limp dick. It's just, it's fucking worthless, right? And why they've done nothing, why Michael Horowitz? So on MSNBC, I was with Alex Witt. And prior to my appearance, Ted Lou was on. And she's the one who brought it up and asked Ted, well, what happened? Oh, you know, DOJ, they don't, they don't really tell us. They don't answer. Fuck you. Bullshit. You're a fucking member of Congress. Don't tell me that between you and Hakeem Jeffries, right, that they're not going to tell you whether or not they're intending on opening an investigation. How about calling and asking? But they didn't do that. They both dropped the ball because they got political expediency out of, you know, writing that document. They got on television. They talked about how infuriated they are. So then Alex follows up. And then it turns out there's an answer. Well, let me call it a non-acknowledgement acknowledgement uh, of that letter stating that we're sorry. 18 months went by, you know, um, and then it goes on to a whole nother topic that has no relevance and completely unresponsive to the letter. Well, now we're about a month post that interview. Have you heard anything? The answer is no, right? You're talking about an unconstitutional remand of a citizen to prison at the direction of the president through a complicit and willing attorney general. That's, that's not America. That's not democracy. That goes right back to what you talked about, the strong arm tactics of a Vladimir Putin, of a Kim Jong-un, of a Mohammed bin Salman, and others. Michael, I, I want to, I, I, you know, I spent 25 years in, in the system, FBI, of course, answering to DOJ. I have tremendous faith and belief in the system. Um, and I'm giving every benefit of the doubt to DOJ. And I can sit here and give you various clues that I think DOJ is doing is looking at high level conspiracy and coordination, but I can equally give you some observations that make me think maybe they're not. And I, 
I do get concerned about while while they're doing their thing quietly behind the scenes, more violence is being provoked, more disbelief and lack of credibility is being garnered in the, in the system on both sides, by the way. Um, and the longer you wait, the longer you erode the institutions responsible for preserving our values. So um, I'm giving them some space and room. Uh, I do have contact with you know certain officials who lead me. You know they're, they're very very careful and, I, I, and very tight lipped. But you know some of the body language seems to indicate. Yep, look, we're doing our thing. We're doing our thing. Okay. okay. I, I continue to say I'm not seeing the kind of coordination if, with the select committee. So if the select committee member, Zoe Lofgren, is saying on national TV, eh, maybe we'll offer Jeffrey Clark use immunity, I get very, very worried about what DOJ is doing. Yeah, and the problem is the longer that they continue this inaction or the appearance of inaction, the more that the, that the DOJ's reputation and belief that there actually is real, you know, um, law going on here is eroding. And you know, look, it's, I understand you're, a, you know, you, you worked in that in that division, and these are people who you know you consider to be the professionals, and I these do. are your colleagues. I do. That's because they ne- that's because they never went after you, right? Once they start to target you, and then you have two members of Congress, and I've reached out to both offices, Ted Luz and Hakeem Jeffries. Fucking crickets. Crickets. How could you have crickets when a citizen, forgetting it's me, right? It could be you next, Frank, because you said something that the Supreme Leader doesn't like. It could be anyone, any any journalist. It could be any television, um, you know, reporter or moderator. It could be anyone that the Supreme Leader thinks is or has on his hit list. Well, if in fact that he does run, and if God forbid a million times, and I don't believe he's going to run, but if hypothetically he runs and he wins, I don't know. I'm, I'm leaving the country. I'm not safe no, here. I, Michael, I have to tell you, you that that is the perhaps one of the strongest arguments that, to be made is that it could be any of us if we get into an authoritarian regime and, and we see the kind of abuses that Donald Trump wanted and tried to institute that oh, and Frank, oh. Frank, change it and did, did yeah. it to me. So yeah. just use me as the example, because if he can do it to me, rest yeah. assured, my friend, you're fucking next. And yeah, everybody no else is next too. No argument there. I can't, can't well, argue. Let, yeah. let me move on then for another, another area about the FBI. Because the FBI announced yesterday that it's probing a meeting that took place just before the January 6th insurrection between the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. Now, you called it a case of intersecting insurrectionists. Do you believe these far-right groups were working in concert as a planned insurrection force? Um, And if so, who do you believe was calling the shots and planning this aspect of a larger plot? There's the big question. So the easier one for me is absolutely, I see see some, some fairly hard evidence of meetings of cross communication um, there's a group of uh, really savvy private intelligence analysts that, that I uh, associate with. They can talk. They talk to me about communications that, and meetings that seem to have happened. So, so fairly easy for me to go. Yeah, I do think I do think there was some level of coordination across these groups. But the groups, I mean, Proud Boys, Three Percenters, Oath Keepers. Yes, 
the larger question you ask, the $64,000 question, as they say, is who the hell brought these groups together and, and coordinated this? I do not believe this was random. I've said repeatedly they needed the power of, and surge of that crowd to make the violence happen. In other words, if you if you had, let's say you had a couple of dozen Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, and Three Percenters show up, even armed, um, and try to walk on any given day, try to walk into the United States Capitol and do and do harm to people, um, they're, they're not going to be very successful without thousands of Americans surging the barricades. So why am I saying that? That crowd, that surge had to be coordinated along with the tactical guys, right? They go, they go together. They don't, they can't happen in a vacuum. You need the crowd as almost a, not only a distraction, but as that kind of battering ram figuratively to get you in the building that to me, that's a coordinated effort. And let me now continue with your theory on the coordinated effort. What do we know already? And I'm not coming up like what others do with, speculation i'm talking facts we know that these people that entered the capitol that stormed the capitol that were trying to take over the capitol they knew where they were going they actually had a roadmap inside to pelosi's office they had it to the you know to the senate chamber they had it to mike pence's office they knew exactly where to go that had to be coordinated you know i worked in the capitol for almost two years when I was in college. I got lost every day, right? One hall, second hall, third hall. You know, I didn't have ways back then in order to get me from place to place. These That's people true. knew exactly where they were yeah. going. It is true. These people no, knew where I, they I, were going. Someone got them a map or gave them access to the capital in order to identify where they were going. On top of that, we also know that they had weapons stored in Virginia in case that they needed, which is right over the key bridge. They would have been back and forth in 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah, no, that's right. That's not, that's not theory. That's, that's, that's solid. They had quick reaction forces and staged in various hotels and places around, around the district. Yeah. And then we also know that the day before, the night before at the Willard Hotel, there was a massive meeting. So do me a favor, Frank. Remind me who was in that Willard Hotel. And let's see whether or not we can start to try to piece this together in terms of who was coordinating this. I mean, I know Roger Stone was there, right? The AKA dirty trickster. Yeah, but you've got to have so well, let's let's not forget Steve Bannon, right? Oh, let's never forget Steve let's Bannon. Let's not forget Bannon. But but when I look at this and I and I go, who who's got some tactical law enforcement or military background, right? And one of the names that comes to mind, and I and I want to be right up front here. This is uh, some place where I have no hard evidence, but somebody like Bernie Carrick, with with a, a strong law enforcement leadership background, who understands tactics and strategy, um, well, he's in the mix here. He's in the mix here. Um, so I I think Bannon is a major major player. I think Roger Stone we know is connected to these to some of these groups at least has been associated with them. Um, and then if you're looking for somebody who actually can talk tactics, police work, um, you've got to take a look at Carrick. What, what do you think? I can't, dis I can't disagree with you because I have no hard evidence. I haven't seen any documents that would do it, but you're right. 
somebody coordinated, um, not just from a tactical standpoint, but, you know, from oh, well, the hold point on. of... Let me, let me, if we're going to talk, so we covered the law enforcement route. Let's go to military. How, how can I forget a gentleman by the name of Michael Flynn, right? You, you want to talk military strategist, understanding, and whacked out just completely now, completely off the charts crazy. Michael Flynn. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe that all of these people were in Trump's inner circle, you know, and remain in his inner circle, which Including to me... Including the position of national security advisor for Flynn. Yeah, yeah which is... I, I don't, there, there were no words, you know, to describe it. He was a wannabe dictator surrounded by people who saw themselves as like the Himmlers, the Goebbels, you know, of, you know, of the Fuhrer, that they were going to somehow be at the upper echelons of, you know, this new regime that was going to be, you know, the new United States of America. And it's, and people don't understand just how close we really were to losing our democracy. And if they really figured it out and they really listened to this and they really accept this for what it is, which is fact, you'd be, you would truly be scared shitless. But let me just move on for a second because the January 6th committee is now in possession of White House records that show that Trump spoke with Jim Jordan the morning of the insurrection. Now, despite we all know, blah, 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 blah. I'm Jim Jordan. Blah, 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 I've never seen jim jordan stutter and babble and you know mince his words the way he did with that question right we know what they'll say i spoke daily with the president about you know all manners of topics related to the running of this nation as if jim jordan is really running this nation i mean he gives himself a lot of a lot of credit and and so on a lot of pat on his own ass in truth what do you think that they talked about and how likely are we ever to find out the truth? All right. So uh, we're engaging in some conjecture here. I agree with you from a gosh, if you're sitting in a class learning about an interview and interrogation and uh, indic indicia of deception when you're doing an interview with somebody, you play that tape, the video of Jim Jordan responding on air to the question of whether he could remember talking to Trump, you know, before, during, or after. The, the, that is classic textbook, um, you know, uh, well, in, in, again, he's, he's lying in that, in that video. It, it's truly just, you know, astounding. All right. Now, uh, here's some good news, and then here's some not so good news. I do see cl clues that the FBI, in their questioning of major players, as they go through now well over 700 uh, maybe we're at 800 by I don't know uh, defendants in the in the uh, capital attack. I see evidence of because NBC News got their hands on an FD302 interview FBI report uh, form of one of the uh, oath keepers. The question was asked of this defendant: Do you know anyone in Congress or a congressional staffer? You know, are you communicating with anybody like that? That that's an eye-opening question. Why? Because from my experience in a nationwide, all-hands-on-deck FBI investigation like this one, senior intelligence analysts are creating and drafting the what they call the collection list, right? We, we need to fill these gaps. They're actually telling agents, ask the following questions if you come across a, an interview with an Oath Keeper or et cetera. That's a, that's a, that question was not just out of thin air by that FBI agent. I do believe they're looking at congressional connections. Now, you asked the question, 
what do you think the, the likelihood of accountability and consequences is going to be? Here we go right back to DOJ, Merrick Garland, and the willingness um, and the, 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 the mindset of holding people in office accountable. And I get the balancing act. I get it. I, I, and I, 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 the balancing act for DOJ, Michael, is we got about 30% of the nation that's just really on the verge. And, uh, you know, with regard to Trump followers, and maybe I'm giving them too much credit for 30%. I, I don't know. But if we come out and start handcuffing um, sitting members of Congress and uh, we got to we got to get this 